Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon page now so that you can support the show. Check out patreon.com forward slash BTBPC and check out the cool stuff you can get for as little as two bucks per month. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Back to the Behind the Bits Rapid Round. I've got uh, Daniel Steinberg here with me, and he is the creator of Laugher and also a stand-up comic. Now, Daniel, how are you doing, first of all? You doing okay? I'm great, man. Yeah, okay. could be better. Great. I, you came to me with this idea a couple months ago, and I tried it. After I saw it in action, I thought it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and we've been meaning to get together for a while, and I'm glad I finally got you on. This is, this is great. Yeah, yeah, you're a huge fan of the idea. I'm still workshopping it, testing it with different comics, and you're definitely one of the early adopters. That's for sure. Definitely, we're either both visionaries or both crazy because still uh, workshopping it, testing it with different <laughs> comics, and you're definitely one of the early adopters. Okay, and that is me. Yeah, that wasn't me. Messing up my oh. live feed, and that's okay. That's okay. This is what happens when you're 56. That's what I got to look forward to in 10 years. Yep. Doesn't get any better. <laughs> good. Okay, we're good. And so this laugher idea, first off, let's talk about you doing comedy. How long have you been doing stand-up? So I've been doing it off and on for, I don't know, about 22 years or so. Okay. Uh, off and on, more off than on, unfortunately, right. in practice, but in theory, I'm, I'm a stand-up at heart. And I think I did my first open mic. I must have been 17 years old. I think my dad drove me to a little uh, Days Inn motel lounge where it, uh, I did an open mic. I remember Lawrence Taylor was in the audience. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was a little cheesy place out in the middle of nowhere, but he happened to be in the audience. And and then I and I that was in Rockland County in, in upstate New York. And I moved to New York when I was 21. And I did uh, did all the open mics over there. Started a make the rounds on the, you know, the tri-state circuit a little bit, New York, New Jersey. Uh, I was doing stand-up towards the mid to late 90s when it was the alternative scene in New York, mm-hmm. with, uh, like Mark Maron, Louis C.K. Jim Gaffigan was actually just starting to break out. Jeff Ross was getting big. And so that, that those were the kind of people that I was, they, they were like the tier above me. Mm-hmm. And the people that I was working with at the time, a lot of them are writers now in Hollywood for Conan and Family Guy and uh, a bunch of other shows, Sesame Street, uh, a lot of different shows. Some of them are comics. I think uh, Christian Finnegan, I saw, has a, has a special on Netflix. He, he and I used to pass each other through the revolving door and open mics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, 
I used to, I actually used to hang out with Mark Marin a little bit for about three months. I trailed him around the city and just, just try to worship at his feet to try to pick up what his magic was. Cause he really flipped the switch for me when I saw him perform for the first time. It was uh-huh. you know, before it was about being funny. And then it was about being yourself and turning that into a funny, like a vehicle for creative self-expression. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was very powerful. And so I just I couldn't get enough of it. So I used to follow him around the city and he was very angry in those days. And he was I was going I was going to ask you which area you got. <laughs> yeah, he was sober. He, he had quit smoking, he quit drinking, but he was he had a lot of anger in him. I remember I was at the cellar one night. He wrote about this actually in Vanity Fair. And I remember I was with him that night. He, I don't know if you'd remember, but he got in a fight with the owner of the cellar on stage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And then in the middle of the set, he stormed off. And we were, we, I had basically been sharing cabs with him the whole night, going from set to set. And I had to run after him to get into the cab to go to the next place. And it was really wild. It was, I saw something that I felt was like very real and, and visceral. And it was cool. And he was connected to, to the comedy store days with Sam Kinison and Bill Hicks and all those guys. And so it was very like, it was edgy, it was rock and roll, and it was very powerful. And it was really cool. I did that for a couple of years. And then and I took a very weird career direction change. And I ended up going to Israel and studying Jewish education. And I, and I stayed there. And I, when I came back, it was, I'd say there were almost seven years. And by the time I came back, I, I moved to California. And I just I was in Jewish education. And I still had that bug. And I would I'd sneak out at night to go to, to San Francisco. And I'd perform at uh, open mics over there. And and then I really any chance I could get and then took a, a bunch of years off and a bunch of years back on again. About six or seven years ago, I started self-producing shows. I got the bug, uh, but I didn't want to do the open mic scene again because I just felt I had graduated from it. So I just I had, I had a small network of people, maybe 70, 80 people. And I would I would tell them, hey, I'm doing a show. I, I wrote up a half an hour. We'll have a good time. And. And I did that a couple times a year for the past four or five years. I've been doing these self-produced shows and actually making more money than I've made back then when I was open micing and doing these little small paid gigs on the weekends. Yeah. And you know, I was making uh seven, eight hundred dollars a night with, with people who wanted to see me too. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. But the weak link was that I just didn't have a way to prepare to develop my act. I was flying on intuition. I had a lot of uh sense of what worked from my time when I really hit the open mics four or five nights a week and really developed my sense of humor, developed my fami- familiarity and comfortability factor audience. But, but I just couldn't go back to the open mic. You know, here I am, you know, 40, 40 years old plus and, and trying to develop an act and going to a, a, you know, a dive bar with a sign up sheet longer than someone's rap sheet. And you get your name on there at two in the morning and you're playing to just other comics the whole night. And as your your morale just deteriorates, seeing bad comic after bad comic and, and yeah. you get up there and it's just that you're all out of steam. You're tired. Your family's wondering where you are. You're wondering, am I doing, am I doing the right thing? And am I like am I living out my childhood dream? And so it's, it was very demoralizing. So I said, I can't do the open mic thing. I, I have to figure out another way. And, uh, and a couple of years ago, I, I came up with the idea of doing Zoom comedy, which, you know, now really is the only comedy there is yeah. for the most part. And I had this idea to do this. I would be home. I'd assemble an audience in different places and I would try out my stuff in front of them. And, and I did it for a couple months, actually. And it was interesting. It was people didn't want anything to do with it. People thought it was crazy. People thought it was uh, it's just, just it wasn't a substitute. You couldn't really get a feel for things working, not working. I, I abandoned it for a different reason, mainly because of the technical problems with it. The, I found that the video and the audio environments were very unwieldy. You yeah. could have a joke die because of the lagging, the buffering, something that 
is really dependent upon timing. If you just miss a little bit, then the whole thing implodes. Yeah. So that plus the idea that you're dealing with a lot of audio environments from every everybody brings their own sound with them. So you could have someone who's vacuuming in the other room. And then you could have, I remember doing a show like a zoom thing where this woman was in her car and she was driving to the supermarket. We, we were watching her shop. She came back to her house. We shot, we, the whole thing was in her little zoom box and yeah. it was so distracting. And you saying to yourself, okay, so I turn off the mics, I turn off the video, but then what's it worth? I, right. I'm doing it in order. I need the feedback. So that's when I came up with idea of laughter uh, a couple of years ago after my failed Zoom experiment, which now everybody is basically on Zoom because because of the quarantine. But mm-hmm. but I came up with the idea of Laffer because I thought that what if somehow we could take all the technical problems out of out of Zoom? Like, what if we could upload the joke or the bit so that we don't have to deal with the buffering and the? And what if it was just like one person at a time? So I didn't have to contend with everybody else's environments. And then I could be where I am and whenever I want to do it. And they could be wherever they are when they want to watch it. But I still am able to see that reaction. I can still see that everything that I need to see, where they laughed, where they smiled, where they wrinkled their nose in disgust, where I lost them, where they were engaged, where, you know, where they got distracted. So it's really cool. It's kind of sometimes if you write something and you're really proud of it and you want someone to read it and then you kind of look over their shoulder as they're reading it and watch their face and see how they react to it. That's what laughter's like. It's it's really cool. And it's uh I love it. I think it's a great idea. I think you're definitely an early adopter. You love the idea too. It's interesting. I'm testing it with a bunch of comics. People are not taking to it the same way that I thought they would. But then again, I may just be experimenting with the wrong tier of comic. I've been doing it with uh, a lot of open micers, amateurs. And I think that part of it is that when you don't see someone react well to your comedy, you don't necessarily, you're not a fan of the medium. So it's hard to watch someone watching your material and and really there's nothing they have no vested interest in laughing at it you're not in front of them the the joke really has to fly on its own merit the force of your humor the force of your delivery and if it's not funny they just won't laugh and Mm -hmm. it's it's, it can be painful to watch and it can be glorious to watch if it does work yeah so it's a cool idea but it's an it's really i think it's a revolutionary idea in the sense that like it's basically deconstructing the audience into a, a bunch of individuals. And mm. the premise is that if I can get a bunch of individuals to laugh, then all the more so it'll work in a collective group in the right context of right. a comedy club where, where they're all together, where laughter is contagious and all the, everything, all the setting is. But, but it's not meant as a substitute. People often get uptight about it and they're like, oh, this can't replace stand-up comedy. What are you trying to do? And it's, it's not about that. It's just, it's like a, Stand-up is great, and when you can't do stand-up in front of a live audience, why not turn downtime into stage time? And you mm-hmm. can use, you can come up with an idea two in the morning, go into your closet, record the joke, upload it, and then in the morning start to see reactions to it and see if the stuff works. Is it as funny as you thought it was at two in the morning to strangers? So that's where it's at. Yeah, I have to really say that the the attraction to me for this, and I know you have a marketing background because we we've talked about that. The attraction to me is first of all, you want to see the people who don't laugh. If you're any kind of a comic, you want to see the people that you absolutely just can't win over because you're looking at demographics and you're very good about going to different demographics. You don't even stay 
inside the United States. You go to uh, other countries right. and you're doing male, female, older, younger, all the, you're right. hitting all the buttons with it. And right. if you see that your joke, obviously, if it's not working with all of them, it's time to either redo the joke or throw it away. But if it's some of them, then you got to do some work to say you get 50%. If you get half of them, you got to find out how to make the other half get on board with it. But the really cool thing when I watch this is it's some people dig in right away. You do it right. Some people dig in right away and you've got them and the it's almost like watching their eyes that everything is working. And if you don't get them in those first few seconds, it's just like any comedy set, you may not get them and uh, you got to do some work to make that happen. While we're here, I think I'll just pop up. I did. I've done two sessions of this with you. And I pulled one out and because of my ego, I pulled my favorite one out where the guy just cracked up. But let me put that up so everybody can take a look at it. And okay. you're going to see the TikTok logo on the side there. And so right. I'll explain that we're uh, we're still testing the app and we're testing it inside the TikTok app because it basically contains the main feature, which, which is the reaction feature. Yeah. So what we're doing is comics will upload a video. They'll send it to me or they'll upload it to this channel that I have on TikTok. And then I have people that are standing by audience members, quote unquote, audience individuals that will watch it and react to it. And then mm-hmm. make, it produces a new video that you can watch, which you'll see in a second of Scott. And so there, the Laugher app is uh, under development right now, but we're testing it inside the, the TikTok app, which has the main feature, which is the reaction feature. Mm-hmm. So you can see how it works. And this will be somewhat how the Laugher app is laid out. And at least, at least this feature, yeah. The gist of it is is captured very well here, I think. So I'm going to go ahead. Wouldn't you know what? My wedding anniversary would fall during this pan-freaking-demic. My wife and I have been together nonstop for the last three months. I locked myself in the guest bedroom for the day just to give us both a gift we could use. While I was there, it was just me and my phone, so I thought I'd download some apps that you kids are using. I downloaded the TikTok. Uh, After watching it for a while, I got to tell you, this looks a lot like something Chris Hansen would use to catch a predator. And what happens when you're no longer the coolest thing on TikTok? Do you have to go all the way back to MySpace and work your way back <laughs> up? I think that we experience a buffering while playing that. If you had watched that, you would have seen it match up link. Yeah. But uh, I, think, I think we saw a little bit of buffering while you were trying to replay that, which is really the reason behind why we do it in the app. No doubt. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that guy's from Britain. He's British. And I, I know this because I was corresponding with him a little bit about getting to react to some of the stuff. And so he's got kids and he had to wait till his kids went to sleep because he didn't want to wake him up laughing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's a great sport. He loves to interact with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. And I have it's to fun. say that round, I think I had two pretty good reactions. I think he did a total of six. I had two good ones, two that were medium and mm-hmm. that they just weren't having it and yeah. and it was really nice to see that mix because you know where you're hitting and where you're not hitting yeah it's an interesting question that comes up which is how much feedback do you need until you decide that either 
this is not working or this is working. Let's push it further. Let's develop it further. When, at what point do you chuck it? Or what point do you say, I've got something here that's definitely working? Is it five? Is it six? Is it seven? Is it 10? Is it? Um, so it, it's an interesting question. I don't, I think probably everybody has a different answer. I like to shoot for 10. I think 10 is, you can come up with a 70%, 80%, 90%. I don't know exactly. And then again, you may see that your joke is not working with women. So then you have to decide, do I continue um, trying to fit this joke into something that women would find funny or enjoyable or relatable? Or do I just say, this is not a joke for for gals. This is a joke for guys. When I do a guy's night type of comedy thing, like there's a guy in our group, we have a Facebook group for Laugher. And it's, there was a guy, he did a joke and I I knew it wasn't going to go over with the women. I I could tell right away. It was, it's a funny joke. I think you posted that when I saw that. Yeah. yeah, It's a funny joke. You you can check out the Facebook page if if you want to see the joke, but I knew it. I just knew it was going to go over, but I, I wanted to show it to him. So I just, I got a couple of ladies and it was clear all of them wrinkled their nose and disgust at the joke. They just felt it was either sexist or whatever it was, but it wasn't unfunny. It was a good premise, but, but you'll have to find the right audience for it. Or right. if, if you're trying to be more of a mixed crowd type of comic, that joke just won't fly. And that's, that was clear. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, I think it was like three for three women just did not have that joke, but they kind of liked the beginning of it because the beginning of it was actually quite endearing. It was a conversation that this gentleman had with his six-year-old daughter. And it was, it started off really endearing and you can see the gals get into it. I knew, like, I knew it was just going to go downhill as I was watching it. And you could tell where it was going, but it's neat. It, it's really, I, I, if you really think about this to its logical conclusion, you can really market research the perfect act. You can really, for the first time, you know, let, let's say you had a joke and just weren't sure how it was going to go over with, let's use women as an example, or, or a certain ethnicity, you just weren't sure. And the only way to be able to tell that in the past would be to assemble a group of women of this or any ethnic demographic or whatever demographic, maybe even geographical, Midwest, for example. The only way to tell would be to assemble live an audience of a group of these people and try it in front of them and try mm-hmm. it a bunch of times. And you can't always do that. It's just not possible. But here, all the world's a stage. You could literally go and say, I want a hundred women from all over the United States or Canada or England or where, you know, wherever, or I want, uh, I want, I want Asian Americans to see, to see my joke and just select those. Mm-hmm. And then you could decide, are they buying it? Are they laughing? Are they into it? Or are they not? And then you can decide, Hey, maybe that's not even my audience. Maybe I have to find people who like this joke. So then you go looking for people who are into that type of joke. And then, but through this very efficient, very convenient type of market research, you can really hit the stage. When you finally hit the stage with these true and try tested stuff in front of your demographics, what's going to work? If it works in this very almost adversarial medium where everything's working against you, there's no context. It's like going up to someone on the street and saying, hey, can I tell you a joke? Like, all right. You have five seconds, you know, you have 10 seconds. They fold their elbows. And, you know, if if you can make them laugh under these circumstances, it'll work in a club. It'll work on stage. It's not going to be the other way. It's not going to not work here and maybe work there. If it doesn't, I don't know if I got that right. But but the point is, is that it's the worst that will happen is that it will produce a false negative. It may not work here, but it could work on stage potentially. But if it works off stage in this kind of cold context with a stranger, with a random stranger who's got nothing invested in laughing at you. If it works, then it's going to work anywhere. 
So I, uh, I totally agree. And let's compare Laffer to the open mic that you talked about earlier. So open mics for me are exactly the way you described them. You go there, you look at your jokes, uh, you do your five minutes. Uh, it's all other comics unless for some reason some other people show up and you're really looking for any reaction at all. And then you come back and do the same five minutes or you change it up by 30 seconds or a minute or whatever, and just keep doing that. You never really know how things are going to hit until you get in front of the real audience. And with laughter, I feel like it's the real audience minus the stage, having a couple drinks, being in a comedy mood and all that kind of stuff. And exactly what you said, if you can make them laugh there, then you know that joke is a winner. And you may not even get the laugh at first. You may have to, you may get, you may get the engagement first. You may get, because it might take a lot more to get the laugh this way than it would otherwise. But you could tell if someone's engaged, like like Mm -hmm. that fellow was watching you earlier. You can see where you have them. And you may get like the weak smile and then, but at least you got something, you got some engagement, you got some, you, there's some meat there and mm-hmm. there's something to improve on. And uh, there was a fellow, do you remember the, this guy who didn't laugh? He was stone faced at everybody. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried him with all the comics. We were trying to make this guy laugh. And finally one guy got a, got a kind of uh, a grin out of him, broke his stone face. But it was funny because we were all thinking to ourselves, like, I, I'm not going to give up till I get this person to laugh. It, it becomes like challenging. Yeah. You know? And the funny thing is, that's the way he's doing it. That's the kind of the way I watch comedy. Mm -hmm. If I watch a Netflix special or something like that. Right, judgmentally. Yeah, I'm not LOLing. I'm studying it because I, so so I almost thought maybe he's a comic. No. That's funny. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was that maybe he didn't understand English because there was nothing. I didn't see, I didn't see, you'd have to look under the guy's nose to see if he was alive. It was, he was not having any of this. It was really no different than him watching the microwave defrosting something and waiting for right. the beep. <laughs> there was nothing, no animation to his face or anything. It was, yeah. it was remarkable how, how someone could be unanimated. Yeah. And I think you should keep him around just to bring everybody down to earth. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's very humbling. Yeah. Yeah. So the big question people ask me is, is where does the audience come from? Where do I get these people? Where... How, do, how does this work? Right now, while we're in the testing mode, I'm literally just hiring people on Fiverr to watch a bunch of clips and to react to them. And, and I try to get English-speaking people, and I try to mix up the demographics. I try to get Americans as much as I can, because for the most part, we're all Americans, and I, I don't want any cultural references to go lost and throw off the, the market research ability of the test. But but I go for women, I go for younger, older, black, white, Asian, as mixed up as I can. And uh, yeah, and, I, and if I'll go to Canada, I'll go to Britain. There was a guy in South Africa, I think, that I hired. But they're all English, English speakers, and I pay them like five bucks to watch a couple of these things and react to them, and then they send it back to me. And, uh, and that's how we do it. So in the future, though, what I'd really, what we're really aiming for is to have a huge audience pool of people that are there that will react to stuff all the time. And I almost see this as where people can use it in the way that, like, you'd run a Facebook ad. So when you have a Facebook ad, you can select your target demographic and you can uh, serve your ad in front of 
men ages 25 to 35 who live in right. these five states or whatever. So I'd love to be able to do that where you could you have this huge audience pool in there. Either they're there because they follow specific comics or, or they're there because maybe they're incentivized to be there. They could win some prizes or something points by, by being there to react to stuff. And then so comics could float their stuff in front of a certain type of demographic and, and X amount of people. And maybe for a little bit of money, they could increase the reach and they could show it to 100 more people. And you can't sit and sift through all of these, watch all these reactions over and over. But maybe there would be some type of AI where that would analyze on through emotional intelligence. You could see where on a graph where you know, 100 people laughed through peaks, the valleys, through also audio, you can maybe detect the laughs. I think all this stuff exists. Mm-hmm. Like big marketing companies for huge brands like Pepsi and stuff, they, they have this stuff where they test their commercials and they will activate cameras of people watching them to see um, their facial uh, recognition software will detect if a person's engaged or not and how mm. engaged and they have. It's neat to see how it works. There's like little points on your face and they draw like little connections and stuff and they can tell if you're smiling, how yeah. wide your mouth is open and stuff. I love the idea of being able to market research your act. You could that, That's basically what comics do. If you think about what a comic does in order to develop an hour, you literally go over and over to all different places and just try it until you, it works in most of the places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's exhausting. And, and that's our art. That's what we do. But if you think about the way that like Hollywood or, or these or television would market research something, they what they do is they screen it. So they have they record it and then they screen it from audience to audience. So essentially what Laffer is, Laffer is like you do your act at home and send it out on the road. And mm-hmm. so your act is being market researched in front of all different audiences after you perform it the best way that you think you could perform it at home. And then you send it out and have people react to it and engage with it and see if you have something there. So it really turns on its head the idea of how to develop material. The old way is, and it's not really the old way, but the current way, let's say, is the is to go from, you go from audience to audience. And this way, it's the audience coming to you, the audience interacting with your stuff mm. um, while you stay home. So it's it's an interesting way. It's the digital... And I think that the whole quarantine thing, I, I like I said, I had this idea three years ago and I ran out of steam and I thought it was a great idea, but I'm still battling uphill trying to get people to buy into it. It's still, it's no easier today than it was three years ago, even though there's really literally nothing else to do right now mm-hmm. in order to develop your material. You can do Zoom, I guess, if it works for you. There's these shows that are limited capacity seating, but people are really fighting for stage time now. It's not easy to get. Yeah. Because the clubs can't really book at full capacity and they need to draw. If they're going to book people, they need people to, that, that are going to bring, they're going to fill those half seats. Mm. So there's really nothing to do. You could, but what, I mean, I, I, wouldn't you want to try to do something to, to keep fresh and to keep steady? If, if you have someone who's willing to watch your stuff and engage with it, a stranger, wouldn't mm. you want to write jokes and practice them while you can? And, and if someone's willing to, I just love the idea of having an idea for a joke in the middle of the night and then not having to wait till Wednesday night at 12 a.m. to be able to try it out. I'd like Mm -hmm. to see someone react to that right away. I want to see how people are going to react to that. I'd love to do the joke as when the inspiration hits and then wake up in the morning and and then see how people are into it or reacting to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just to me, that's that's just stage time has always been such a commodity, such a scarce resource for comics. And I I love the idea that this is decommoditizing stage time for us. 
So. Yeah. I feel like the some of the true benefits of this, first of all, when you talk about demographics and you talk about different areas, so you could whittle it down and say, okay, Midwest, I want to see what a Midwest audience looks like, East Coast, mm-hmm. West, Coast West Coast, North, South, because that's that's what all comics are trying to do. They're trying to appeal to all those audiences and they're America. Yeah. And you, if you don't hit that, middle of the road stuff at least for part of your act you're not gonna you're not gonna win with those right and better find out from afar by watching a video than showing up there and, and dying on stage yeah with the stuff that killed in queens wait till you get to peoria yeah that it can be painful and i feel like I, you know, i've done the zoom stuff and i've done this and as far as I'm an analytical person. As far as the feedback is concerned, the laugher is 100% better than anything I've done on Zoom. And just because when you look at my video, I didn't put that much into it. My delivery was shitty to say the best. (laughs) And, but I, I took the time to record a minute. And uh, put that out. And if I do five minutes on Zoom, I don't know what the reaction really was unless I look back at the video if they recorded it. And Mm -hmm. I don't even want to do that because I got to sift through everybody else that was on there. And you don't really who who are the who are the audience members on the Zoom show that you've done? Are they other comics or are they? It's mostly other comics. Yeah. Yeah. So that's almost useless for me. I don't know, maybe other people benefit from it, but it's, I don't even know. It is probably not a great analogy, but it's like experimenting with food in front of chefs. Like you're just, but it's, it's, that's not who you're trying to please. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not a great analogy because maybe they have a very refined palate, but it's just, they may find, even find something funny, but they're, it's just, their laughter factor is very dulled from overexposure. And so it's just not, it's not a, and most of them are, are, not really going to be like mom and pop people that, you know, like for me, my demographic is I figured out is, is really my age group, which is in the you know thirties to forties, kids, parents with younger kids, tweens, teens, that type of stuff. Those are the people that really relate to my stuff. And I don't find that in a bar for the most part. I just don't. So, you know, what ended up happening is, is that if you, if that's your only audience, so you start to try to please those people because no one wants to die on stage. But uh, so you start telling jokes to that would appeal to, I don't know, college kids or, or maybe 20 somethings. And, and that's not really my audience. And they don't get having kids yet. Uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of raising kids and relationship type of stuff because they, they haven't been married yet or haven't been married too long. And so either they don't get my stuff or I have to alter my act to custom tailor to them. But that's not really who I'm trying to reach. So, yeah, though I don't open mics, I, I, I would say are pretty much useless except for being comfortable getting a comfortability in front of strangers that that to me i think is is valuable once you reach that plateau you just don't need it anymore there's nothing you have to find another way to develop material in front of the you have to get it in front of the people that you're trying to reach Hmm. i do think that open mics are good for like developing a cadence uh learning to breathe and and things like that if if you take yourself then you can look back at it and look at yourself but the as far as the reactions and how a particular bit or joke lands you know Mm -hmm. what what you did actually 
told me a lot more about what I was doing than anything else I've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when people get, and I didn't understand this, but people get very uptight when you tell them that this is like an alternative to open mics. And I I didn't understand why. And I started to really think about it. And I, you know, you spend a little time on some of these comedy groups in on the internet. And uh, I think that it's a big identity for a lot of people. Like Mm -hmm. this is where they, they live. They, this is what they do. This is where their friends are. It's like a, was like a herd mentality and when, when and when someone like breaks out it's almost abandoning the the you're abandoning the community yeah uh, by breaking out and it's the one guy that that had the most severe reaction he, he called me a whole bunch of names and stuff it was really crazy and, and i went to go like research who this guy was and he was uh he's a paraplegic and his whole identity i think was like being wheeled onto a stage and having doing these jokes for people but if he has to if he has to stay home to do stuff, then it's he's no different than really anybody else anymore. So, so that's the thing. I, I think that it, it really requires a like a, a thought process that hey, we're this is I'm trying to develop an act here. I'm not trying to develop a community of friends or peers. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something important too. But in terms of just being able the most efficient way to test an act, in my mind that this would be it. Yeah. And Worst case scenario, why don't do both? Just do your open mic for your community and saying stuff out loud and taping yourself and then do everything. Do this to yeah. see how stuff lands. Yeah, do do everything. Do do whatever you can. It's just it's such a weird time right now. There's really not too much available to do. It's so funny because as soon as this hit, this pandemic like three, four months ago, I just started getting email after email saying, hey, the, hey, that Zoom thing, remember that Zoom thing you tried a bunch of years ago? And hey, you're going to revive that now? And like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Like people called me names and people thought I was crazy. And, yeah. and so this is the next level past there. And I keep on waiting to see, I feel like someone's going to, someone's going to run with this idea. Someone's going to take this idea and someone's going to just run with it. And I should, it's like, I haven't seen anybody like come even their mind doesn't even go to this place. Like it, mm. it's, I don't understand why it's either, like I said, at the top of the program, either we're visionaries or we're both really deluded. <laughs> I just can't figure it out. I can't figure out why people wouldn't be jumping at this. And yeah. Um, so it was neat. I, I had a, one of my, the comics that I really is uh, Moody McCarthy. Do you, do you know who he is? What's the name again? Moody, Moody McCarthy. His name. No, is. I don't know. He's, he's been on Conan and uh, the late show a couple of times. And uh-huh. uh He's very funny, very dry, very deadpan. You, you look him up. I, I think you'd like him. Uh, um, so I, I once sent him an email saying I just he was the first comic to really make me laugh in a bunch of years. And I really loved his stuff. And he, he sent me a free um, a download to one of his albums. And uh, so when I when this thing hit, I said, hey, Moody, if you're not doing anything, why don't you try this? And, and so he signed up and he saw it. But he, he hasn't really sent me anything yet. But I'd like to see this level of comic. I think there's maybe about a thousand of them there. They're they're basically their bread and butter is is comedy. They're mm-hmm. not you're, you don't necessarily see them on Netflix, but they're they're working comics day to day, and they're they've reached a plateau and they make their living doing comedy. and And I'd love to have this demographic really try to interact with this type of medium and see if it's useful to them. That's really what I'm aiming for. If you think about the different tiers, there's everybody from there's the wannabes, there's the open micers, there's the weekend warriors, there's people like you and I who do like the self-produced shows, and and then there's the working comics, and then there's maybe like kind of B-level comics that you might see on Netflix have shows you never heard of them, but they're they're getting there, and then there's A-level, 
And then there's like the mega stars like Seinfeld and Kevin Hart and these people. Right. And so somewhere in that bucket of six or seven types of tiers of comics, I think there's a sweet spot that will really enjoy this. But I just haven't found it yet. But I, I, I have conviction that it's there somewhere. Mm hmm. I think if you, you got know. one one A A lister on board, then everybody would follow. But uh, yeah, you know, that's always the the tough thing to do. I just I I don't know why, but when you presented that idea to me, it just clicked. And maybe it's because I'm not comedy is not the way I make a living. The way I make a living is sales and marketing, like you. And I just right. saw it as a as a as a tool. It's just right. it, it's a tool to test your material and f you can all the, go all the way from what tone are you going to take you could do the same bit five times and mm -hmm. uh do a different delivery each time absolutely try yeah. it out that way it's i'm beautiful. just seeing all these applications right. for one app that that you could put together and it's just amazing to me the possibilities of it because you're look you're you're looking at it from a smart efficient, almost business-like type of way to be creative. And most people are just looking at it from a creative type of way to be creative. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just not thinking that along those lines. And if you're in marketing or if you're in business, you realize that time, time is of the essence. Uh, you want to reach as much of your potential audience as possible, test as often as you want, as you can. So yeah, yeah, it takes a, a different mindset in order to view it. Um, like this, but I heard there's a, there was a guy that I follow online. His name is Josh Spector. And he used to have a, a podcast called connected comedy. And mm. he, I think he, he does like social media for the Academy of the motion picture Academy. And he's, um, he, he abandoned the project. I'm not sure why. I think he's always sat on the sidelines of comedy, loves comedy, but, uh, never just really leapt into it head first. And, uh, so he, he still publishes content and stuff. And, uh, but what he said once struck me really hard, which was that, that your base comedy is like a startup. Comedy is your startup and you have to treat it like a startup. And, and a startup is a lot of testing and, and trying to find early adopters, people who get into your stuff and build a community around it. And, and that's how you, and more than ever, you've been, it's really up to the comic to do that. You don't have to rely on bookers anymore. You don't have to wait for your big break. You can assemble your own audience and you have all the tools to do that if you want. And I think Laffer is just another one of those types of tools where this is like the startup, stand-up startup. I like that. It has a nice big, ring to it. The big marketing thing now is that thousand true fans. If you can get a thousand mm -hmm. true fans and it builds, yeah. builds on so After you, Scott, I got to get 999 more. Yeah. <laughs> You're my first fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm aiming for a hundred. If I can get a hundred, I'll be happy. But you're, you're, um, you're really the first fan. Everybody else's that are starting to put yeah. stuff out there. So yeah, but I, I, need, I need more guys like you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. getting that thousand true fans. If you can speed that up, that's just gold. Mm -hmm. I, yep. that's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, yeah, why, I, why wait in why? terms of this, like this podcast, because I think the Friday, I think I'll probably have like my 29th episode out or something like that. And my first few episodes, I had Dreesen on first, so I had a ton of downloads on that. But my mm -hmm. second one, I had a very good comic, Stuart Huff. And my first week, I got five downloads. And then I've got a few bigger names, and people are going back and listening to some of the older catalogs. So now it's up to a couple hundred. But the, the the thing is, if I could build that, 
to a thousand quicker then I can get sponsors quicker and I can start paying for all the expenses like this mic that's in front of me and my mixer and my hosting and everything else. I can do that quicker than I get my payback quicker. Maybe try selling that uh, collectible Pez dispenser behind you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's that record? I'm trying to figure out what is that? Oh, it's Marion Lush beer. I had, I've got a friend that is, uh, he's into like garage selling and reselling stuff. And he put a picture online of it, and I said, I got to have that. Uh, what, what is it? It's just, I've never even listened to it. It's just, is it, is it, just, is it a comedy like or is it you song? Got this guy with holding a beer in his hand, and I think it may be polkas. Uh-huh. Oh, that'd yeah. be fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, do you have I don't even have a turntable anymore, so I can't. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. My kids have no idea what a record player is. They're just, you know. They can't even fathom it. I had a conversation with one of my kids' uh, friends. She's 11 years old. And I was telling her something on the side. I said, before the internet, we had to. She's like, what do you, like, what do you mean before the internet? Like, mm-hmm. she, that's like saying, like, before there, the sun existed or something. <laughs> what do you mean before the internet? Like, did you live on a different planet? Did you, like, where would they not have the internet? My yeah. son is 26. And I think he, it was second grade, first or second grade, they, they were, trying to see if the kids knew their address. So they uh, were saying, okay, what's your address? And my son said, www.3030.com. That's very funny. <laughs> That's where you live. Yeah. That's it. The, the, the teacher just broke up about it and told Lisa and I right. because it was right. hilarious. That's very funny. Yeah. That's like one of those famous family feud. I think there's one of the funniest clips where Richard Dawson just dies laughing. I think what the question was, what month does a pregnant woman start showing? Oh, and, yeah. And the woman says September. Yeah. He just, he, just, he just dies. He just falls over. I mean, you, can, you can see it on YouTube. It's very funny. Yeah. I've seen that one. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so as far yeah. as this app is concerned, you know, what's the next step for you? So if the next step, I think there's really two next steps. The first step is to to find a bunch of people that are just interested in it, that really want it. And then I guess to develop a team uh, of people that would be interested in bringing it to life. But I spent a little bit of time in the startup world. I I was marketing director for a a startup, a legal software startup. Mm. And, And so my mind is in that startup world and they're all about testing. You have to test first and life's too short to build something that no one wants. And don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. And so in my mind, the problem, this is the perfect solution to the problem. The problem is that it's very difficult to to develop material in an efficient way. There's mm-hmm. a lot of waste involved in it. And so that's the problem. Is this the solution? We'll have to see if comics take to it. Then it's the solution if comics don't take to it. It could be that while I'm testing it with other comics, I'll find that there's a completely side use of this app that I never saw coming. And it'll. that's actually what happened to Twitter. Twitter was a different startup. And mm-hmm. then people were using it in a different way and it became Twitter. I'm trying to remain, not push my bias and tell people what's so great about it and how to use it and what they're trying to remain open-minded and just hit enough people. So the next step to answer your question is to, to keep on testing it, to find a sweet spot of people of early adopters who are really into it, who want it, get some traction with it, then get some people who are interested in being part of this kind of quote-unquote movement and then I guess look for some investors to build it and see where, see where it can go. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't know. I'm just not sure. I, I love the idea. You and I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but uh, we have to find people who want to interact with it. So right. laffer.com is the website, L-A-F-F-R-R, two F's, two R's.com. You can sign up over there and we're still doing some testing. You can get a link to the Facebook page over there. We have a little video to show you how it works. And yeah, so we'll have to see. I'd love to see this get made, but I don't want to sink my whole life into it if, if no one else wants it except for me. I'm happy to use it myself. It's I scratched my own itch. This works for me. So uh, if it'll work for other people, then that's what remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, I, I really have a hard time understanding that all these folks who got into the Zoom mics and are doing all this, whatever it takes to get online and they're, they're doing YouTube lives and all this kind of stuff. I don't, it's just not that big of a jump. And it's actually less work on our part mm-hmm. than getting on a Zoom mic because you know what a Zoom mic's the same thing as an open mic. You're you're just sitting in your chair until it's your turn. I think that the thing that's a little bit scary for people is doing a joke in a complete vacuum. Yeah, you know, literally talking into a camera, not having any reaction in front of you, and just trusting that somehow that will elicit a reaction down the road. Mm-hmm. And then also I think people are having a hard time buying into the fact that by seeing some individual reactions that could be useful to them. And you're right. It may not be very useful to see five or six people. You may need a hundred people, but it's something to work with. It's encouraging. And when you, I think we talked about this, when you keep on seeing these videos and you hear yourself doing the joke by the third or fourth time that of, of reactor that you're watching you say ah, i should have cut that part out like by that time you you almost can edit yourself as you're watching mm-hmm. it, it it does that it sounds long to you as you're watching the video yeah. with the people and you're like if i would have cut that part out and then but the beauty of it is that it's free it's like uh with cameras there's film doesn't cost anything anymore and so the same thing with this this it doesn't cost anything to try it again and to do it again in front of somebody else so it's, it's you take try it as often as you want do it as many times as you can mm-hmm. you know? Keep on doing it. Get better at it. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so, so totally cool if you got somebody like uh, Gaffigan? So you, you get Gaffigan and people you know actually him, by the way? pay to watch <laughs> his watch him work out material. So that's an interesting idea that someone suggested to me that people might use it in different ways. For somebody like me and you, we might use it to test to see if material is working. For mm-hmm. someone like Jim Gaffigan, he might use it just to give a treat to his like best fans to see his newest stuff mm-hmm. and to have them be able to interact with it and see it first. Yeah. And so that might be, that might be an interesting use that a side use that people use. And that'd be cool. And we can do some type of revenue share with them. If people want to be part of exclusive Jim Gaffigan's newest material type of uh, club, they pay 20 bucks a month to see all of his stuff all the time. And as he's working out, as it's fresh and new, and then he gets half of that. I mean, that can be. People are doing these cameo videos. Have you seen these? The cameos, yeah. You know, so, and they're doing the master classes, and so celebrities are more accessible these days than than they used to be. And cameo videos are a train wreck, man. Yeah, they are. They're funny. <laughs> so, Gil, I, I, Gilbert's is fantastic. I love Gilbert anytime. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna duck under my table for a second just to plug my computer in so we don't okay. die. But yeah, I love Gilbert. Actually, 
I don't know if I, I must have told you this that I, I was a, an intern for the Stern Show back in the nineties. Oh yeah. yeah. So I used to hang out with Gilbert a little bit. He wouldn't remember me, but but he was an interesting guy. I used to hang out with him a little bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, see, there's a very funny Google Talk. Have you ever seen those? The Google Talks where they invite thought leaders and celebrities. Yeah, and I've heard of them, but I've never watched one. So the best one to watch, they had Brian Regan did one, which was really good. So the best one, in my opinion, is they had uh, Gilbert on and they wanted to prove that anything in Gilbert's voice is funny. So they brought out this like Google, it was some like interdepartmental policy or something. It was like 18 pages long Uh and he just read it. And there was all this like technical jargon and and stuff. And and he read two pages of it. It was hilarious. And he was just reading the most, the most mundane technicalese, (laughs) but it's so funny. Oh yeah. 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 He's one of my so favorites. Yeah, so maybe I'll get him. They, they have, uh, he does endorsements and stuff on Cameo. So maybe I'll get him to do a little Cameo video for the, for Laffer. Oh, yeah. 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 That would be I great. I, I've been something. thinking about doing one for the podcast. And, uh, yeah. You can get Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather for a thousand bucks. We'll do one for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to pay that much. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are way, some of them are way overpriced, man. I, I, some of them are three, three fifty, four hundred. Like you said, a thousand. That's right. nuts. Right. And you look at the celebrity. You're like, who's paying that money to you for this? Who are you? Were on the monsters? You're like, who? who yeah. Are you? You know? <laughs> it's yeah. It's real funny. Yeah. We'll see. I just got to keep on testing, and that, that's really the next step. And just just trying to see. I did a Rick Roberts podcast um, mm-hmm. last week, and and he was it was a segment. It wasn't the whole thing. But it was different tools for comedians and stuff. So I'm hoping that by getting this out there a little bit, I'll be able to reach some more people who are interested in trying it, who like the idea of it and want to see. And and when I get those, not I don't not shooting for a thousand true fans, but enough that I could approach, let's say, a, you know, startup incubator or some investors and say, do we have something here? Can we crunch the numbers and see how could we use this to make some money altogether and, mm. and create like a movement around it. It's tough. And half the day I walk around thinking I'm crazy and the other half they think I'm a genius. And yeah. so, <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the genius side. All right. Good for you, man. So when you think uh, you, you've got this Facebook group where you're posting some of the videos and doing some communication, I think, is that a private group? It's private right now, but but people can just join and I'll, for the most part, approve them. There's, okay. you know how it is in most groups, people end up spamming and putting all their own, you know, shows and stuff in there. So mm-hmm. uh, I, that's the reason it's private. It's not private because I want to hold off, hold out on anybody. I just want to just want to keep it useful to people. So okay. if I can vet the people as they come in, but yeah. So if you sign up at Laffer, then it'll shoot you in, in like a little pop up with a link to the group afterwards. Okay, so great. if you're willing to sign up, then you'll get access to the group and then you can try out stuff and you can see how it works. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and a big uh, caveat is that, sorry to keep on dump, going down here to plug in my computer, but a big thing that I always tell people is that uh, I will not use any of your material in any way without uh, your permission or, or promotional stuff. People's stuff is, is kept in confidence. And if, if I ask permission, if they want me to post it, I'll post it. If they don't want me to post it, I won't post it. But I, I like to crowdsource the, I, the idea of the app. So that's the main reason I like to show people's videos that they get, of the reactions they, that they get to show how it works. And right. is there anything that we can think of to improve this or is this idea, is this not useful or is it useful? But I, I never use people's stuff without permission. So yeah, at least I, I don't think I do. I, I try not to. 
That's great. Hey, you shot me this uh, promo video. I'm going to put this up real quick. I, I went ahead okay. and stayed live because I've still got people watching. So I figured that as long as we're talking and people are watching, we'll go ahead and keep it going. So we're okay. still live. Is that, is that usual or? Sometimes I get quite a few in the beginning and they drop off, but I've had people in and out the whole time we've been talking. Hopefully we won't have any buffering there. I'm watching uh, my baby walk when I watch when I see that. You put some work into that. I did, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time on that. That's really good. Yeah, the, website, the website, also the messaging. I really tried to nail down the messaging of the idea of the app. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It helps to have a marketing background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, cool, you're doing, you're doing a great thing, and I think I really feel like something's going to happen here for you. So Thanks, um, I'm going to keep doing the cheerleader thing. You need okay. one of those in your corner and I'll just keep doing yeah. that and sharing all the stuff I can and inviting people to the group and help you out everywhere I can, because I appreciate it. I, really yeah, I think something's going to happen here and I'm glad I'm on the ground floor of it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You're definitely on the ground floor. I hope we get to meet in person. We know we're not too far from each other. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So as soon as I can uh, actually travel again, we're actually going, we're leaving tomorrow to go see my grandson his second birthday is uh coming up but we drive instead of fly now so it's yeah. a, about an 11 hour drive and and where to it's in the dc area okay yeah nice. yeah so it's going to be a long one yeah. <laughs> we leave yeah. at about two o'clock in the morning so we can stay out of traffic and it works pretty well are you staying over anywhere or are you just going straight just with my daughter my daughter uh-huh. her, her husband so, so I'm saying on the way are you staying no, no we you literally through yeah audio books yeah. baby we got audio books queued and we're ready to go so cool record a couple of bets send me some bets yeah think of anything funny. Road, road is always funny i'll just keep sending them while i'm driving and okay. a lot of work to do cool cool Thanks right, so cool, much Scott, for coming you. on the show. Thanks this is opportunity. fun, and I obviously I wish you all the luck in the world, but I don't think you're going to need it. I think things are going to happen. I hope so. Your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks so much, Daniel. Okay, have a safe trip, Scott.